All right, so we're in our third study, uh, actually fourth study. The first study was an introduction. And if you're listening, uh, if you listen online uh, to our podcast, and you can catch up with the others. But the first study was actually an introduction. So tonight is the third book. It's the fourth study, but it's the third book because we started uh, with introduction, went to Genesis, of course, 50 chapters in Genesis. And we looked at Exodus last week, 40 chapters in Exodus. This is a much shorter book. It's uh, the book of Leviticus. And it's the third of the uh, first five books uh, in the Bible that's many, uh, we talked about in our first study that we, when you break down, um, break down the books of the Bible and how they're, how they'll be categorized, categorized, these were, are listed as law, even though Genesis doesn't really so much have law like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but they are called the five, first five books of the law. And they're also called the first five books of Moses. He wrote uh, at least most of everything except for the end of Deuteronomy. Joshua probably re- recorded Moses' death. We'll get that when we get to Deuteronomy. But nevertheless, this is our third book in the, uh, in the Bible, of course, third book in the Old Testament. And Leviticus um, is, um, is a book, a shorter book, as I said. It has 27 chapters. Get this to work right, I hope. No, it was working earlier. Something's not right. Something's got to mess up. There we go. So um, it's, a, it's a book um, of 27 chapters. Uh, skip that somehow. But anyway, um, it's a book of atonement. I hope I have the right notes this time. Um, anyway, it has 27 chapters in it. And it's the, the theme of this book is a book of atonement. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Exodus was the book of, um, uh, of basically of departure. It's what that was about, where they left Egypt and Leviticus, at the end of, Ex, uh, at the end of Exodus, we, we saw where Moses um, was there on the mountain and, and uh, he, had, he had gotten received the commandments from God. And then uh, we closed out Moses' uh, Exodus last week and talked about the uh, tabernacle, how there are 12 chapters in that 40-chapter book about the tabernacle. Well, in Leviticus, we'll see a little bit more, and especially in the book of Numbers. So let's make our way through. The word atonement, let me back that up. The word atonement basically means um, at one man. It means we're made one with God through the finished work of Christ. And that word atonement, we'll see it in our study tonight, uh, is a key word found uh, several times in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus. Um, It has more words spoken directly by God himself than any other book in the Bible. Uh, of course, we know the Bible lets us know in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We know the Holy Spirit is the one that inspires the Bible. But as far as words said directly to someone, which in most cases, of course, was Moses, some cases it was the nation of Israel, um, more words are said in that 127-chapter book by God directly himself uh, than any other book in the Bible. makes it interesting. So Leviticus, even though it may seem like a, one of the, the books of the Old Testament, it seems like it's a little, you know, got a little dust on it and doesn't seem that interesting. I hope but by the end of this study, you'll find it a lot more interesting um, as, you, as you go through it. Uh, quoted over 40 times in the New Testament. Um, let me back that up. Uh, I missed that slide. So over uh, 40 times in the New Testament, that book is quoted. To be a 27-chapter book, that's a lot when you compare it to some of the others. Genesis is quoted a lot of times, and of course, Psalms, uh, the book of Isaiah, and several other places, but Leviticus alone is 40 times. And a good bit of that, as we'll talk about tonight, is found especially in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and we'll get to that a little bit later. 
So let's start with our GPS and highlight the chapters of uh, Leviticus. Then we'll look at some unique things about this book as we, um, as we uh, do the uh, overview of this tonight on our, on our journey on, on uh, Route 66. So the first uh, seven of the 27 chapters have to do with offerings. Now, remember, God had given the law in the book of Exodus to Moses and um, some of the, uh, the things that he put in the, that he gave him in the law, of course, are the moral laws like the Ten Commandments. But he also told Moses concerning the laws uh, that, uh, of the offerings that were to be offered. We'll also look at some of the feasts tonight also. We'll kind of spend a little time highlighting those before we finish. But the offerings that were made for different reasons uh, in Scripture. So the first seven chapters are about the offerings that the priests offered up for the people, uh, offerings uh, to God. The first three chapters are concerning offerings that maintain the fellowship of the people. And the second, and we'll, we'll get the second section of that in just a moment, but let's look at the break these down. First of all, there are those that are the burnt offerings. The high priest would go in to offer burnt offerings um, of, uh, of usually, well, sometimes it would be a, 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 um, a bullock, sometimes it would be a, a ram or lamb. Uh, and he would offer, offer that up as a burnt offering for various things, uh, sometimes for sin. Sometimes it was an act of worship. And then also there was what's called the meat offering or the meal or grain offering. Also, as you study through Leviticus, you'll see that the, some of the meat offered up in the offerings, it was actually, some of that was actually given to the priests, to the Levites. In, the, in, that, in that word, the name of the book, Leviticus, you see that name, you see the short Levi. Well, Levi was the, one of the tribes of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Through Levi's descendants were born those that were the priests. Now, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. I'll tell you, tell you what I'm trying to say here. So the first high priest that we, when we get to it a little bit later, and we'll actually we'll see it in numbers more than we did uh, we do in here, and we saw it last week. Remember Aaron? Remember he went, whenever Moses went up on the mountain and, and he comes back down and God says, there's something going on down there, Moses. You need to get back down there. There's a noise. And he gets down there and Aaron's, you know, he's down there and all the people are dancing around. They've got the golden calf. Aaron and Moses were brothers. They were descendants of the tribe of Levi. Aaron was the first high priest. Moses, his brother, they had a sister named Miriam. But Moses, his brother, of course, was God's mouthpiece to Israel, the, the, the prophet, and Aaron was the high priest. And so um, they were from that tribe of Levi, and so Leviticus is special instructions given to the priests. And part of that, it begins with these offerings, meal, uh, burnt offering, meat offering, which sometimes uh, included meal or grain uh, in it, and then a peace offering that was given, uh, that was offered up. That was, for, um, that was for transgressions between people time to time. The second section, let me back it up uh, just to get back to that. So the first, chapters, the first seven chapters are about offerings. The first three deal with maintaining fellowship. And then the, sec the chapters four through seven have to do with restoring fellowship. So these offerings in the first uh, three chapters had to do with maintaining their fellowship with God. Well, the, those that were restored fellowship were, were for specifically for sin that had been committed, and offerings were made for that. And that's in chapter 4 through about half of chapter 5, about verse 13 there, for a sin offering. 
And then picking up in chapter 5, verse 14, into chapter 6, are those for trespass offering, for guilt offering. Um, sin offering was something deliberate that was done. Trespass and guilt offering was something that you may have done to someone you maybe didn't realize, and, and it was for guilt and for trespass. It was to, to uh, an offering to, uh, to cover that guilt um, for something you had done towards someone else. And then, of course, what God had given them in Exodus, the laws that they lived by, he had everything spelled out. Some things were not just not so much moral laws like thou shalt not kill. There were civil laws whenever, you know, you wronged someone else. It wasn't something that was worthy of capital punishment, but it was something that was, you know, God says, don't do that to your brother. Uh, don't steal from them or whatever. That wouldn't be necessarily capital punishment. So, but anyway, trespass offering, a guilt offering. And then the, end, uh, six, uh, the rest of chapter 6 through chapter 7 is further regulations concerning the offerings, how they were to be done and so forth, and, and the importance of, of, um, of them and the way that they were to be, the way the priests were to do that and to offer those up. And it would describe like uh, when, the, when, the, when the animals were going to sacrifice for the altar, that the, you know, the fat that was not to be offered up at times. And, and um, it would even give details, like I'm looking at chapter 7, verse 32. And the right shoulder shall you give to the priest for a heave offering of the sacrifices of your peace offering. So um, he gave details for what was to be offered and what was to be left over. Some of the meat that was not burning on offering, uh, again, was given to the priest. That's how they had their food, how they got, their, how they got fed. So... Um, uh, the, the, he gave all those regulations to tie up loose ends concerning offerings. We'll slow down a little bit as it goes, but chapters 8 through 10 give the ordination of the first priests of Israel. And as we said, Aaron was, uh, if you go with me to chapter 8 if you're there, uh, Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. Uh, let's see, look at chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather thou all the congregation together into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And put upon him the coat, and girded him with the girdle, and clothed him with a robe, and put the ephod upon him. And he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod, and bound it unto him therewith. I don't have a picture in it, but hopefully when we do go through numbers, uh, since we'll be talking about the tabernacle more there, I'll try to give you a, a picture of the garments that the high priest wore and the other priests wore. The high priest's garments were a little bit different from the other priests. And it mentions there, you see the, the word robe. You see girdle. I know, uh, you know women, uh, you know, they, they know what, what a girdle's about. But a girdle is basically something around the waist, to gird, G-I-R-D. That's where that comes from. And so, um, in fact, in the, the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, it talks about in the armor that the uh, Ephesians chapter six, the armor that we 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 put our we we gird ourselves with a with a um, uh, belt of truth. It's to be girt around us. So you see that word gird. So it goes around the middle part there. The ephod is kind of like a long t-shirt that basically was that fit with the robe that he wore, and the robe went all the way down to his feet. Again, when we get the numbers, hopefully next week I'll have uh, pictures to go with this, but. Uh, because it'll it'll have it in the in the context of the um, 
of the tabernacle. So what he did was the very first time that all these uh, garments were made, he put, Aaron put them on, and they had like a, it was like an anointing that was done, an ordination would be the word we'd use today that was done. Like when a pastor is ordained or when a deacon is ordained and set aside for a purpose. And so uh, it, it lists the clothing there. And then in verse 8, and put the breastplate upon him, and he put in the breastplate the Urim, U-R-I-M, and the Thummim, T-H-U-M-M-I-M. Those were part of the breastplate of the high priest. We'll see a picture of that hopefully next week. And they had this breastplate upon them that had, had these jewels of 12 different jewels that represented all the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we'll see a picture of that. We'll go into that a little further next week. But when you look in that chapter there, you'll see as the, um, the priests were set aside for that special purpose of ministry. Um, they were set aside for that, uh, and in doing so, they had those special clothes that they wore um, to, to show that they were priests. And then, of course, Aaron is a high priest. Then when you get, um, well, Moses consecrates them in chapter 8. Chapter 9, they begin their priesthood. When you read through in chapter 9, it talks about the functions of a priest, their responsibilities for offering up, it mentions um, in verse 2 of chapter 9, talks about offering up a calf and then offering up goats. And it gives the details of, of how they were to minister as they offered those offerings that are described in the first seven chapters. And then in chapter 10, it comes to something interesting. Chapter 10, look with me in, um, in verse 1 there. And two of Aaron's sons, their names were Nadab and Abihu. And it says this concerning them, verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein. A censer was, what it was is they would hold, they would have a, um, something like you'd see um, um, maybe in pictures or a long time ago where before they had flashlights and so forth, they would have a candle and they would hold, they would have that candle in in this box shape with with glass for the light to shine. They would hold it. Uh, down below them. Very similar whenever um, the shepherds in Israel would use something very similar to, to have, a, uh, have something uh, burning, usually a candle or something like it, as a kind of a flashlight as they looked in the, in the night to be able to check on the, the sheep. And so this censer was uh, the fire burned from it, but it also had an incense. And that's the reason the word C-E-N-S-E-R is used because it had an incense that, that you could smell. That was all part of the tabernacle. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because we'll go into this in more detail next week. But it says there, they took the censer that they had, that they carried with the, the fire that burned in it. And it says, put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. That sounds very serious because it was. It was a very serious thing. And not until we get to numbers will we see um, the importance of what this was about. Remember, these books happen in the same time of history. It's just Leviticus is describing um, how the priesthood began and the, the details for offerings. Numbers will talk about the, uh, ta uh, the tabernacle itself, and everything was involved in it. In the tabernacle, there was a fire that, that was continued, uh, continual. Outside, there was an altar that burned. And then, of course, when they moved it to place to place, the, the fire would begin again. But everything that was, was lit had to be lit from that outside fire of the altar outside. Uh, that's where the offerings were made, the, the books and the, the calves and the, 
goats and so forth, that fire was to burn continually until they moved from place to place. Inside, there was an altar of incense. It had to be lit from that fire, not from something else. So two of, of uh, Aaron's sons disobeyed God. They got that fire from somewhere else. And God had told them, don't do that. So he took that very seriously, and they did not. God took it very serious. Aren't you glad we live in the New Testament, folks? Uh, aren't you glad that we live here now? It's not that God doesn't take things serious now. It's just that was what God had set up. And they knew by Aaron's command from what, he, what God had given Moses, this is how you do this. And you don't move from it in any way. You don't change it in any way. You keep it the way it is. The fire must come from the altar. And they had strange fire, which means they had the fire they lit themselves some other way. And so, um, you know, uh, a practical way of looking at that is how, you know, uh, God has uh, many things in his word that he makes very clear. But when, when human beings try to change it, we make a big mess of things. And so um, we, we see how God took that very seriously and uh, they, were, uh, they were destroyed when they offered up strange fire. You get into chapter 11 through chapter 15. And you get into some of the civil laws and regulations that they had as a nation. In Exodus last week, we talked about some of these, but Leviticus goes farther into detail on some things. In Exodus, we talked about the Ten Commandments. And we talked about some of the other commandments that God gave for them as his people. Remember, this is written to his Old Testament covenant people. This is not for, you know, uh, for church in the 21st century to live by. This is for his Old Testament covenant people. Because they were special, God had these commands for them. And he said, as long as you do what I tell you, I will bless you. And I will make you great. I will make you a great nation. See, God had, God had great plans for them. To make of them a great nation and to do that, there were special laws he made for them to live by. From a practical standpoint, they had to do that. Of course, the scripture we'll see a, bit, a little bit later where God says, be ye holy for I am holy. And so they were his covenant people. He wanted them to be special among everybody in the earth because he told them, he said, you're going to inherit the whole earth. Did they then? No. Will they in the future? Yes, they will under, under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get to chapter 11... You read that chapter, uh, and it's, it's uh, 47 uh, verses, and it tells them the foods that are clean, the foods that are unclean, the foods they can eat, the foods they can't eat. You read through there some of those things, I would go, well, I don't think I would eat that anyway, so I'm, uh, I would be glad it was unclean. But um, you read through there, and you see some of the things that God told them, you're not to eat of this, and you can eat of this. Uh, there were certain fish they could eat, but certain fish they couldn't eat. Um, the, there were certain uh, fowl or birds or whatever they could eat, but there's certain that they couldn't eat. Um, one of them was a bat. I don't think I'd want to eat a bat anyway. So, but anyway, uh, it, it, it uh, tells them what they can and, and they're not supposed to eat in their diet. So that's in chapter 11. Chapter 12 uh, is a short chapter, and it gives um, instructions on purification for women after childbirth, after the mother has a baby, uh, gives the, the regulations or the purification, rather, for the, for, the, um, for the mother after childbirth. It's a short eight-verse chapter, uh, and it's interesting because when you read about the birth of Jesus, when Mary goes into the temple, uh, it lists in here what's to be offered. In fact, go with me to verse 8. 
uh, chapter 12 and verse 8 of Leviticus. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or two turtle doves for a sin offering, the door of the tabernacle of the congregation of the priest. And the book of Luke tells us that Mary offered two um, offered up two turtle doves, two doves. That's the poorest of the offering. Um, if, they were, if they were pretty well off, they could offer a lamb, but the poorest one was uh, two turtle doves, and the Scripture describes that. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, uh, the common people, heard him gladly. And he was a common person of the day as far as the way he fit in society and um, was not of great wealth. And then chapter 13, it identifies leprosy. If someone had anything that looked like leprosy, they would go to, of all people, they would go to the priest. The priest would examine them to see if what on their skin was indeed leprous or if it was not. And chapter 11 uh, describes, or excuse me, chapter 13 describes how they identified that. And then if they had uh, leprosy in chapter 14, it gave regulations of what they were to do. Uh, You read later on in the Old Testament uh, of some that had leprosy, and I'm trying to think of the, the passage where that's found. Seems like in First Kings, but anyway, as they were going through a street, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, and people had to stay so far from them, a distance from them. Um, they practiced social distancing on that back then. So they had to stay away from them for leprosy. They, had, they couldn't be around anybody uh, in, you know, in the event that they would pass that on to them. What a horrible, horrible disease. And so uh, chapter 15 uh, also gives some regulations uh, concerning uh, cleanness and uncleanness for men and for women. I'll just leave it there for right now. But per- personal purification in chapter 15, um, it talks about that. Um, if you were uh, ceremonially unclean, in other words, if you're unable to uh, go to uh, offer, have, have the priest offer up an offering, if you're not able to do that, then it told what you were to do. Uh, and then also for like social events, certain things that they were not to be around people and in doing so, they had purification. So you can go read that sometime and see the, the details on that. But um, that chapter talks about personal purification. Then you get to chapter 16 and 17, and you go back into some of the offerings in a little bit more detail and what they're about. Chapter 16 has a very interesting passage in it, and it talks about a scapegoat. What they would do is there's a day, we'll get to this a little bit later before we close tonight, but there was a day every year called the Day of Atonement. And what the high priest would do, what the priest would do, uh, the high priest would do, but the priest would prepare the animals for this, but there was one goat that was called a scapegoat. And I know to us this sounds very strange, but this is the way God had it set up for them. And if you look at chapter... um, Look at chapter, well, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of um, not read the whole part, but chapter 16, pick up at verse 7. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Aaron, or whoever was a high priest in years after Aaron, that's what they were to do. Two goats, verse 8. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. What is the scapegoat and what was he for? Verse 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for the sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell, the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat in the wilderness. So that scapegoat 
um, was let go, the other was offered up. We'll get to that and see some practicality about that in just a little bit. But it happened every year on the Day of Atonement. It was a special uh, feast or festival, a special celebration for them. And go with me, if you're still in chapter 16, go with me to... Um, Verse 18, and he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make an, an atonement for it and shall take the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and howl it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So God had a special offering uh, system of offering set up for that particular day and they were to follow that. To, uh, you know, to the T, just as God had given them the instructions. And it mentions their blood seven times. Seven is a very important number in Scripture. It's usually a number, some people define it as a, as, a, as a number of perfection. You can use that word, but I think a better word is the word completeness. It's a, be, it's a number of being complete when you have seven of something. God sets up a lot of things like that. In fact, music, you have seven of those um, uh, white notes, you have five of the, 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 the sharp notes or flat notes, however you look at them, and uh, you have seven, and then you start another octave. In fact, eight in the Bible is a number of new beginnings. We'll probably look at it, maybe some in, uh, in either in Numbers or Deuteronomy, but it's a number of new beginnings. And so um, it gives, those, gives the directions for that Day of Atonement. We'll come back to that as we talk about Jesus as we get to the end of this. Chapter 17, there were regulations there concerning blood. Uh, God's people were not to eat anything with blood in it. Uh, and it, he tells us in that chapter that in verse 11 of chapter 17, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. They were not to eat anything with blood in it uh, whatsoever. Uh, the blood had to be drained for them to be able to eat of it, partake of it. And so another place he gives a regulation. They couldn't eat anything that died of itself because that blood was still, was still in there. So he had strict regulations concern that, concerning that and concerning blood. And then chapter 18 to 20, he gives social and civil laws for his people. Uh, chapter 18, you read through there, and there are the, uh, the he gives sexual laws um, concerning, um, let's see, it's in 30 verses in chapter 18, um, concerning sexual sin in that chapter. Um, and you can read through that sometime yourself and see the details of it. But God gives his regulations there and laws concerning that. And then when you look at chapter 19 and 20, basically the Ten Commandments, he takes those and applies them to, to social and civil, uh, even family um, um, situations, things that within amongst their neighbors or their own family. Um, and he, he takes the uh, Old Testament law and applies it for, um, let's look at, in fact, let's look at a, an example of it. Uh, let's see. Look at chapter 19 with me, if you will. Look at verse number uh, 31. Regard not them that have familiar spirits. Neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I'm the Lord your God. Well, that's an application of thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the application of uh, you're not to worship any idols. So he takes that and uh, talks about the, um, uh, and warns them about rather, the familiar spirits or those that would worship. Um, uh, basically, he mentions later, you know, the word we would think of would be witchcraft or those that, that use um, um, 
uh, as he says, familiar spirit, that, that would be Saul did that. King Saul did that. Remember when he went to the, the witch at Endor and he wanted to summon up Samuel's uh, spirit to talk to him? Basically, that's, uh, that, that fits into that category. So he warns them about that. But there's several, in both of those chapters, you see several places where God takes the Ten Commandments and applies it to all type of social uh, settings, family settings, civil settings. Then you go back into uh, chapter 21 to 22, and he repeats some of what he already said concerning the priests because here he talks about regulations for future priests. After Aaron and his sons died, their descendants, their descendants, their descendants, their descendants, all the way through anyone in the future after that that, was, that would be in the, of the tribe of Levi that would be a priest, he gives uh, the regulations for it. Uh, and then rules for sacrifice. But he, he sums it up, and it's a lot shorter than the other chapters because he'd already said it, uh, but he sums it up for them, for future priests in those chapters. Then you get to chapters 23 to 25, and you see the feasts, the festivals, and the worship. This is where I want to stop for just a few minutes and take just a couple of minutes here. When you're in chapter 23, there are seven feasts mentioned. Again, God loves that number seven, obviously, and seven of them are found in Leviticus chapter 23. So of all the chapters in Leviticus, this one is probably full of the most, um, most material that's studied out of Leviticus. I mean, it's interesting, of course, studying the, the offerings. That's an interesting study. But the feasts are, are significant in, a lot of, in, in many ways. The first one in chapter, did I make any notes on that? Yes, okay, I did. I went on further. So the first um, three verses in uh, chapter 23 simply talks about the weekly Sabbath. He goes back to the, the commandment from the Ten Commandments where he says, um, six days shalt thou work, and on the seventh day you know, you'll rest from your labor. And he repeats that in verse 3 of chapter 23. So he talks about the Sabbath. Now it's interesting because there are seven feasts, and the Sabbath, a week is seven days. And the last day of the week... Uh, for, for the Jew is a, um, a day of rest, the Sabbath. Um, and on, uh, the way of time frame works is from um, Friday about sunset till Saturday about sunset is the Sabbath. And then Sunday, of course, the first day of the week. Then he starts with uh, two back-to-back, two of the feasts, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In chapter 23, verse 4 through 8, he mentions those, those two and he mentions the Passover. Remember when Jesus died on the cross in the, the gospel accounts, uh, it's during the time of Passover, right at the time of Passover. We talked about Passover, if you were here last week or if you listened to the recording in Exodus chapter 12, uh, the children of Israel uh, took a lamb. They killed the lamb, remember, took the blood and put it on the post of the doors. And then the lamb itself was to be cooked, was, was, was to be uh, roasted in fire and eaten. And anything that was left over, they were to burn it in fire before they left to go because they were getting ready to get out of, uh, of ex, uh, to make, it, make their exodus, should I say, out of Egypt. And so uh, the Passover was instituted then, and God told Moses, he said, this will be forever. And so um, in the book of Leviticus and Numbers, he, he gives us the commands concerning the Passover in which they observed. So he, uh, chapter 23, verse 4 through 8, they talk about that. Um, they were to take the, um, the lamb offered up, and we know that Jesus was offered up as our lamb around Passover. And then connected with that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were to, to eat of bread without any yeast in it, 
just as the children of Israel did the night of Passover. And this, this follows right after uh, the Feast of Passover. It's part of that week. And so uh, leaven we talked about last week in the Bible represents sin. Usually there's, there's some exceptions. It represents sin and decay. And so um, it was to be unleavened bread that they would partake of. And so our lamb, Jesus, takes away the sin and decay of our lives in the unleavened bread. Beautiful pictures together. And then in chapter 23, verse 10, there is the feast of first fruits. It's one of three Jewish feasts to thank God and to honor him for what he has provided for them throughout the year. The Feast of First Fruits is where they brought of the first things that, that they, um, that, uh, of, their, of what they grew and offered them up as thanks for, for the Lord, to the Lord for what he had done for them. And that's called the Feast of First Fruits. Then in chapter 23, verse 16, there's what's called the Feast of Weeks, also called the Feast of Pentecost. This was about 50 days after uh, the Feast of Passover. So what would happen, what happened then is um, at the Feast of Pentecost, this was 50 days later on. So if, um, if Pentecost, or excuse me, if Passover happened somewhere like um, late March, early April, then that would put Pentecost into somewhere in June. And so uh, Pentecost was the day which they brought uh, of their harvest and, or yeah, first week, uh, Feast of Weeks where they brought of their harvest also that was coming in at the time. And the people were expected to bring uh, that grain to the Lord and they, they would bring this time, they would bring bread that had leaven in it. This is an interesting picture. So you got Passover, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You have the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread, no sin, he takes away our sin. The Feast of first fruits. Uh, we think we think of uh, our um, our gratefulness to God for our salvation. Then there's the feast of Pentecost or the feast of weeks uh, that happens 50 days later, where they have bread with leaven in it. The interesting thing is is that feast is a picture of the New Testament church because in the New Testament church there is Jew and Gentile together in the body of Christ. Isn't that a great picture? Great picture. And so that yeast went in there into that bread to make it rise because now uh, that leaven, that leaven that made that, which is basically yeast that makes it rise, it's a picture of Jew and Gentile together in the body of Christ. So when Jesus rose from the dead, 50 days later was Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. What happened at Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came down and the church was. Born and a great all these feasts give such a great picture. I'm going to move on. These are these are um, uh, I'm putting this kind of behind tonight. The next one is in chapter 23, verse 24, and it's the feast of trumpets, uh, where the trumpets were blown uh, as uh, as a declaration of God's command to His people to rest. This was a feast time where they would rest. I'm behind, aren't I? Let me see. Thank you. Yep. Feast of first fruits, 23 9 to 14. 23, 15 to 22, Feast of Harvest or Pentecost. And that's the church. There we go. Feast of Trumpets. This was a time when the trumpets blown, well, when, all the, when the trumpets would blow, after they finished, everyone was to rest for a while during this feast. And so we think of this and, and uh, see the picture of the rapture of the church. When the, when the trumpet blows, the trump shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we'll go be with our Savior. Isn't that a great picture? Because then we will have rest. We will have rest with our Savior. Um, the sixth one 
is the Day of Atonement, chapter 23, verse 26 to 32. Atonement, we talked about that a while ago when it mentioned the, um, the scapegoat. Uh, atonement was a restitution for wrongs committed. It was a day of humility uh, towards God. It was a time for them to get their hearts and, and consciences right before the Lord. And uh, the observance involved a sacrifice of animals and the high priest, but then also there was the goat that was the scapegoat we talked about that the high priest would place his hand on the head of that goat. And as it wandered out in the wilderness, it was a picture of all sins being transferred to that goat. And uh, just a beautiful, beautiful picture that all of our sins were placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is in chapter 23, Verse 33 to 44, it's called two or three different things in Scripture. It's called in some places the Feast of Booths, and in some places it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. What they would do is they would, after the Day of Atonement, um, there would be a time where they would have the Feast of Tabernacles where they would set up these tents. Now you say, well, they all had their houses. Yeah, but this was something temporary. They would set it up and go outside. Maybe that's where the idea of camping comes from. I don't know. But they would set that up outside of where they lived, and they would dwell in that for a while to remind them of when, they were, when God's people were in Egypt before he called them out and brought them, delivered them miraculously through the Red Sea. And so it was the Feast of Tabernacles where they would, um, uh, during that feast, they would dwell in those booths, those tents, those tabernacles for a short time. It is a great, great picture of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when God's people will dwell with him. So chapter 23 uh, gives those feasts there and uh, closes out with the Feast of Tabernacles. I know that was quick. So Passover is the first one, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, and then tabernacles. I'm going to work on some notes for y'all. I will work on that. And then um, another layout of it is probably hard to see from there. But this one starts with the spring holidays, Passover in the spring of the year, and first fruits, uh, or well, unleavened bread that, that was right between them, then first fruits, and then Pentecost. That's all in the spring and summer. And then in the fall was the trumpets. Day of Atonement was actually the first day of their calendar year. Now, the first, the first um, holiday of their um, spiritual year would be Passover, but their calendar year began at that Day of Atonement. That began their, their calendar year. Like January 1 begins ours, that began their ta- uh, calendar year. Then in chapter 24, verse 1 through 9, it gives um, regulation to them and, and directions for oil, for the tabernacle and bread. They were to, uh, as we'll see this when we talk about uh, next week in Numbers, about the tabernacle itself, they would, uh, there would oil had to be placed for those Scripture calls them candlesticks. What they would have is they would have a um, they would have, have kind of a candle arbor thing where they would put oil in each uh, of those candlesticks, as they're called, where that oil will continually burn, and it gives them them um, uh, direction on what to how to do that. And then also the bread that was baked fresh daily uh, in the uh, in the tabernacle. Then in chapter twenty four, verse ten to sixteen. He gets into some more commands and um, concerning breaking his lo- uh, God's laws. There were punishments for blasphemy. Um, there in chapter uh, ten, uh, two, uh, twenty-four, verses ten to sixteen, um, he gives an example of of someone that blasphemed. They were taken out. They were stoned. God took that very, very serious. And then there was punishment for injury and death. That's the place in Scripture where you see an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is found there, and it had to do with personal injury towards someone else a neighbor or someone else. 
and how that was to be um, made right. Then in chapter 27, back that up, did I get that right? I did not. I missed 25 and 26 because they were, okay, 25 and 26 actually continued some more um, regulations concerning uh, Sabbath worship and so forth. I don't know why I missed that slide. But anyway, chapter 27 gives the redemption offerings that they were to offer up. Um, goes back to the um, offerings for the priest, and he goes into all the details of what animal was to be offered with what and how it was to be taken and the beasts that were, or the animals that were, had any, or whether they had any blemish or, or anything or whether they were uh, animals that could be offered. So in Exodus, let's compare this. In Exodus, we see God's laws first given and the tabernacle is described. Hebrews, um, without Leviticus, we couldn't understand that book. Leviticus and all that God put there helps us to understand the book of Hebrews in the New Testament because so much of what is, is found in Hebrews concerning the high priest and the offerings, um, it links back to Leviticus because it describes those. The book of Hebrews basically tells us that Jesus is better than fill in the blank. All the Old Testament offerings, even the high priests themselves, Jesus is better than all that. And Leviticus is a key to understanding Hebrews. Here's our timeline. We started out a few weeks ago with Genesis, about almost 4,000 B.C. And so Leviticus takes place, overlaps a little bit with Exodus there, as you can see. 1446 to 1406, and there should be a B.C. next to that. Uh, it was written to Israel. And like Exodus, there are moral laws that are repeated later on also in the New Testament, but it goes into detail uh, with a lot of the things God gave them in Exodus. Dietary laws, over in the book of 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it tells us that um, anything in the New Testament age can be eaten if it's, if it's uh, received with thanksgiving, the Scripture says. There's nothing unclean to us uh, in, the, in the church age. Another great example of the difference between Israel and the church. Israel has their clean and unclean animals. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 4 says uh, that anything can, can, we can eat is, uh, as long as it's taken, as we're thankful for it, as we partake of it, there's nothing that's restricted in our diet in the New Testament. Some things would be hard to eat, but anyway, uh, we can eat it. Leviticus 10, uh, I'll just, I won't stay a long time on this, but Nadab and Abihu, we talked about they offered up that strange fire. Uh, they had a self-styled worship. And so a good principle to learn from that is what is a biblical precedent when we're, when we're seeking God's will or when we're, um, when we're, we're talking about uh, something to do with, with, a, um, with a program or something that we do for God, what is the biblical precedent about that? And what steps can we follow to, to make sure we're honoring God in what we do, because they didn't. Leprosy was incurable. Sin is incurable, apart from the, pay, apart from the payment in full, and that payment is Jesus Christ. Um, the offerings and feasts were to be observed annually and always. All through time they were to observe them, and they did that even you know, into the New Testament time, whenever, um, uh, when Jesus was born, they still were observing those feasts and offerings as long as the temple was there. But Jesus is our always. He is, he is our feast. He is our offering forever. Uh, chapters 1 to 10 describe our positional standing before God because it talks about offerings for, sal for, for forgiveness of sin for them. But 11 to 27 talks about our practical standing before God, the way we're to walk and the way we're to live to follow Him. 
12 times in chapters 18 to 20, God says, I am the Lord your God. Remember I said this was the, the, the book where God says personally and speaks personally more than any other book in Scripture. And 12 times in 18 through 20, just those three chapters, he says, I am the Lord your God. Um, the word atonement is found 49 times in the Old Testament. I mean, 69 times in the Old Testament. 43 in Leviticus alone. You know how many times it's found in the New Testament? Also on this day shall be a day of, of atonement. We talked about Leviticus. In the New Testament, one time. Why? Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. He's our atonement. He's the one that puts us at one moment with God. One time in the New Testament. Isn't that beautiful? That is awesome. That is just great how our Savior fulfills that. And then he's our scapegoat. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, um, uh, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In 1 Peter 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, talk about him uh, uh, bearing, bearing our sins as he shed his blood for us. And then he's our high priest, Hebrews tells us. We'll talk about that some more in the book of Numbers, probably. 7.26 and 8.1 of Hebrews he is our high priest. A um, couple of verses. There are key verses. The life of the flesh is in the blood in chapter 17, verse 11. And uh, that's physically true. But it's also there's a spiritual truth that we have spiritual life through Jesus Christ, through his blood. God told them, be ye holy, for I am the Lord and I am holy. So we'll end there tonight. That's a long way. Goodness. Long way tonight we went on that trip. I didn't think 27 to go. Chapter, uh, 27 Chapters would go this long, but anyway, we'll stop there for tonight. Any questions or anything before we close tonight? Yes, Sharon? We can't know when Jesus is coming back, but you had that graph up on the screen uh -huh. that showed how each right. feast has a The feasts, right. So could Jesus come back around the time of the one that was in the, the tabernacles? It's possible. It could be. Or the Feast of Trumpets. Where, you know, that's a picture of, kind of of the rapture where the trumpets sound. It's possible. It could be. Um, How many years that? That's in the fall. In the fall? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on if God uses that. Because there's a lot of prophecy teachers. Some, some prophecy teachers teach about these different feasts and say, uh, I think Jack Van Impey liked to do that. They would talk about the feast and say Jesus could come back at, at this feast. But you have to also consider, even though that's God's calendar, there's also the fact that the church is made up of both Jew and Gentile. So I don't know. It could be one of the feasts. He may, he may choose one of those to be the time that he comes back. I don't know. But I know when, it, when the church is complete, he will. So, But that's a good question. Those feasts are really interesting. The more you study those and look at the detail of them, it's really, really interesting. All right, anything else? All right, let's stand and close. I'm sure you'd probably need to stretch. <laughs> uh, and we'll, um, Lord willing, weather permitting, we'll pick up next week. If there's bad weather next week for any reason, we'll get the word out on that and make sure everybody knows. But um, right now, I, um, I don't think they're saying unless it's rain. So unless there's a bad storm or something. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for what we see of Jesus in Leviticus. And Lord, we know that much of what was written to your Old Testament people, your, your um, covenant people then, that there was a lot of the regulations they had to live by because they were your people for that time, and they were a special people called unto yourself uh, to serve you and to be, uh, be your uh, people throughout the world. And Lord, now we know that uh, in the church age, we thank you that there's so many of those things that are not uh, for us to keep, but yet we see how what 
was given then is fulfilled in our Savior. And we thank you that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we see in Leviticus. And we thank you that one day he will come back for us as we've talked about tonight. I pray that you'll help us as we uh, continue going through and studying in your word uh, in the months to come. We thank you for the promises of your word. And we pray that you'll help us, Lord, to grow in grace uh, and knowledge of, of your son through your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.